Hello and welcome to this Head Talks podcast. I'm Terry Stiastny and I've been speaking to Lisanne Basquiat. She's a life strategist and runs an organisation called Shaping Freedom, where she works on helping people build successful family relationships. She's also the sister of the late artist Jean-Michel Basquiat and helps to look after his huge artistic legacy. My name is Lisanne Basquiat. I am an entrepreneur a life strategist and uh, a mother (laughs) and a grandmother. What a life strategist is, is someone who helps people to find effective strategies for living a life where they are in a great rapport and relationship with themselves with the ultimate purpose of helping them to have a, uh, a healthier familial legacy emotional and mental legacy for their families. I um, do that work through a company called Shaping Freedom and also through a uh, co-working space and business accelerator that's female focused that I own where I support female entrepreneurs in building their business. I also, uh, along with my sister, manage our brother's estate. Our brother was an artist, uh, the artist Jean-Michel Basquiat. And my sister, Janine, and I are co-administrators of his estate. And what that means is we stand for him and ensure that our brother's legacy is respected. And we help to bring his art to the world uh, through licensing and through um, supporting museum, museum exhibitions and so on and so forth. Wow, well, that sounds like a, a fantastic and busy uh, portfolio life. Tell so me, busy, Terry. <laughs> I can imagine, I can imagine. <laughs> you mentioned there the importance of, of family legacies, and obviously a lot of your work is is tied up with, with your own family and, and the legacies there. Tell me a little bit about the kind of family you grew up in. I understand that in your family, art and culture were obviously particularly important. They were very important, Terry. Um, art and culture was introduced and nurtured in our family through, uh, well, first of all, let me take a step back if that's okay. I, uh, I grew up in Brooklyn uh, to a Haitian father and a Puerto Rican mother uh, in Brooklyn, New York. And uh, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn is a, a place in the world that is very rich with culture, museums and parks and that kind of thing. And so ever since we were very young, our parents would take us to the Brooklyn Museum and to museums in New York City because it was really important to them that we had a grounding in not just the experience we were having in our own home, but also an understanding of what was happening in the world around us. And um, as many of us know today, a lot of that world around us gets reflected and expressed through art. So that's where art came in uh, when we were younger. And and also culture and music. Music was a very important part of our home as well. You mentioned that you grew up in uh, an immigrant family, which obviously in New York is many families are from that kind of mixed and different background. What were the expectations on you as a child? Was there that kind of pressure to get on and, and be a success? Absolutely. It sounds as if you know my family, Terry. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that uh, for for a while, I thought it was, you know, something that happened primarily in Haitian families. But I'm learning that I think many uh, first generation 
children have this, um, whether it's intentionally programmed or just through, you know, through modeling, they have this, um, expect, there's an expectation that they're going to make good and leverage the opportunities that are presented to them. And we certainly experienced that in our home. Our dad left Haiti uh, in the midst of the uprising that was going on there around Duvalier. And there was a lot of strife going on in that country at the time. He came to America because he wanted to be a businessman. And later on in life, he would joke that he, I mean, he was telling the truth. We thought it was funny. He would say that he had come to this country with a toothbrush in his pocket and, uh, and he struggled. You know, he came to the country, he worked in the fashion district, he pushed a clothing rack down the street, shared a room with other friends that he knew from Haiti and built himself from there to, you know, what he saw and as a lot of immigrant, what a lot of immigrants see as the American dream, which is to buy a home, be a productive member of society, you know, go to college, build your education and those kind of things. And so we grew up with this expectation that we would become white collar professionals and that we would be either a lawyer, a doctor, or in finance or something like that. Uh, and there, you know, it, it was, it was a hard, you know, growing up in a country where things were very different and the expectations and the culture was very different. And later on, I grew to really appreciate that uh, discipline and that different understanding. And obviously your brother, who obviously became such a hugely famous artist, took his own different route, a creative route, and, you know, didn't become a lawyer or a doctor, as your parents might have expected. Were the expectations on girls and boys different in your family? Were you expected to do the same or were you expected to do something else? You know, I thought about that um, before um, joining this morning. And, you know, we were raised primarily, my sister... Janine, my I'm the middle child, uh, and then my our brother Jean Michel, who passed away, was the eldest, and we were raised primarily by our father, and the experience as a female of being raised by a father is a little bit different, I think, uh, where for us, um, it wasn't until later that I was clear about or that I understood that there were, there was some nuance, you know, our brother was able to go out, he was able to hang out, you know, he didn't have the same restrictions on him that my sister and I did. But for the most part, what I'm very happy about is that our father, uh, Gerard Basquez, his name, he's passed away, was very explicit in his uh, conversations with my sister and I, and in telling us that we could do whatever we wanted to do. And he used his own path as a bit of a, um, a model for us. So I never felt restricted in terms of my professional life by the fact that I was a, a woman at all. And as part of your career since, obviously you said you do, you do lots of different things, but one of those is to help look after your brother's artistic legacy. I mean, I was in New York recently. I'm afraid I didn't see your at the exhibition, but there was obviously his influence is, is still so huge. Why yeah, is. is something that that's something that you felt it, it was important to you and to your family more widely to do? Well, Jean-Michel has had such 
a a profound influence on popular culture. And um, he, 32 years after having passed away, people continue to reference him. People can, you know, new artists of all genres continue to um, be inspired by him. We've spoken to people from artists to musicians to uh, chefs and um he has had such a profound impact on the ways that people see their ability to freely express and he also has a voice that continues to resonate with what's happening in our world both from a social social justice perspective he speaks to all of the isms in the world, the isms of racism, sexism, colonialism. He really had something to say about those things and what he had to say continues to resonate. And so I think that's part of it. That's a huge part of it for people. And obviously, as someone who's got these different you know, facets to your life, how do you see the importance of family at the moment? Because from what you're saying, it can in some ways act as a constraint, you know, what your family expects of you, what they expect you to become, but obviously it can also be a great source of encouragement and love. What do you tell people in terms of your work in personal development and leadership about the importance of family? I think family is everything. Family gives you, you know, whether you are in rapport with your family or not, at the end of the day, that is where we've received our initial programming. Uh, And I'm referring to it as programming because it actually really is. You know, that's where we learned how to respond to the world around us. Uh, We took in the ideas, beliefs, thoughts, uh, limiting beliefs of the people who were our caretakers. And then we go into the world and it is our, I believe, our personal responsibility to ensure that we're living a life that's in, in, in alignment with who we truly are. And sometimes that involves releasing some things that perhaps don't work for your life. And other times it, it involves modifying or course correcting things that work, but maybe need to be better aligned with what you're doing and, and, and who you want to be. That's not a negative thing. The work isn't a negative thing at all, nor is it a criticism of anyone's family or the ways that they've come up. It's just a call, kind of a rally cry to really honor the gift of life that we've been given and to understand that no matter where we've come from or what we've experienced, there comes a point in our life where taking full accountability for our life, which is different from responsibility. Responsibility is about ensuring that you meet your basic needs and that you are following you know, a, val- a value system that is true and authentic for you. But taking accountability for your life means that you allow yourself to be a blank canvas and that you give yourself the time and the space to consider and ponder who you are, what you want, how you're showing up on this planet. And 
that you take the courageous choice to make the decisions that will ensure that what you have in your world is truly what you want to have. That's the only way that you can really, at the end of the day, say that you that you can really own the life that you have. It's when you realize and recognize your ability to create it. So, I mean, that sounds like an interesting, but yet a complicated process. How do you really? go about beginning to do that work of trying to understand, you know, what your family's brought you and, and who you are? I think part of it comes down to like taking an assessment, you know, and a lot of us do that. Those of us who have perhaps gone through some kind of a corporate uh, background or a professional background, there comes a point where you take stock, you know, when, if, if you're feeling like things aren't quite where you want them to be either in your relationship or if it's in business, it's, you know, your bottom line, you, there comes a time where you start to think about, well, wow, I don't really, this isn't really where I want to be. And for many of us, we have a long list of things that we don't want, and we could lay those out at any given time. What taking an assessment means is that you, you take this moment where you start to think about what you do want, and you focus more on what you do want than you do on what you don't want. It also involves, you know, once you get clear about what it is that you want, you then take a look at the delta between where you are today and what you want. And it doesn't mean that you completely blow up your life or that you walk away from everything and go live, you know, in a cave somewhere. It just means that you're willing to take a look at the relationships that you have. Uh, and you don't have to walk away from them, but perhaps there's a relationship that does not feel productive for you or that's not running, that, that, that's not feeling good or resonant with you taking a look at what's happening in that relationship, where you want things to be, and then doing the personal work yourself of setting boundaries, if that's what needs to happen, or speaking your truth, if that's what needs to happen, or not putting the responsibility for your happiness on that other person. And you can swap out that person for anything in your life. You can swap out a romantic relationship for your work, if you're not happy with your work, what is it that you want? And taking accountability for ensuring that you get there. It also involves a big one, which is forgiveness. Because ultimately what's happening in your life around you is a reflection of what's happening on the inside. And so once you're willing to, number one, take accountability for what's going on in your life, make the commitment, even if you don't know what to do, but just being willing to take accountability is so helpful. Number two, to build awareness for what's going on. Take a real authentic look at what it is that's happening around you. And number three is to take action. So where there are things that are happening that are different from what you'd like them to be or happening in a way that's different from how you'd like it to happen, you have to take action if you want things to change. And very often we point and look at other people and we want them to do something different so that we can feel better. Taking accountability means that you understand that ultimately and for all of your life, you are in the most 
intimate of relationship that you really ever have is the one that you're in with yourself. And so if you want to know how to move forward, take a look at that relationship because that's where the, the gems are. You know, sometimes we get upset with other people because they're uh, perhaps overrunning our boundaries. Well, where are you overrunning your own boundaries? And is your allowance of someone else to do that truly, really just about you not respecting your own boundaries and putting the responsibility on that person? That's interesting. So I was going to ask you, you know, can this be a process, particularly uh, within families that leads to conflict? You know, if, if somebody is saying, well, this is what I want and I'm trying to set clearer boundaries about, you know, what's acceptable or what's right for me. How do you sort of manage that potential conflict with people who might be used to you doing things in a completely different way or, or their way? That's a great question, Terry. Thank you for asking that. Uh, because it, it reminds me of, you know, my dad was, uh, as I mentioned before, he really, his vision for us was what worked for him. And so when he realized that he had children who were, who had different thoughts, you know, or ideas of the vision for our lives, which many people do, it's not unique to us. Uh, there was some conflict there. And the conflict was in his vision for, I'll speak for myself, for my life versus my vision for my life. And I did try and went out and worked in corporate. I worked in corporate for a really long time and I did well. And I was an executive and I got there and I realized, hmm, this is great. You know, I've met all of the check boxes of responsibility, but I've lost accountability to myself because ultimately there are other things that I want to do and other ways that I want to show up in the world. I could have stopped and put the responsibility for that on my father. That's very easy to do. You know, they stopped me from doing that thing. But it really comes down to, again, taking that accountability and saying, okay, this is my life. What is it that I want for my life? And moving forward there without asking for permission and also with kindness and love in the communications that you have with other people about what you're doing. And sometimes that comes in the way of boundaries, you know, and, and communicating that to a person um, that you, this is something that you've decided to do. And other times it comes in your understanding that what you want is for you. And so you don't need to ask people, ask for permission. And then in families, there is oftentimes conflict, which is perfectly understandable because you've been with these people for all of your life. And so there are times where a person might have a different path for themselves than the path that their family has envisioned for them. And what that comes down to is forgiveness and acceptance for who people are, understanding that and respecting um, in NLP, we refer to it as another person's model of the world, understanding that their model of the world is not my model of the world. It doesn't make them right and me wrong or vice versa. It's simply what the truth about it is. And when you understand that, then you stop trying to change people into 
seeing the world the way that you want to see them or it, and you start respecting and understanding who they truly are. And then having the courage to move forward in meeting the things that you want for your life. I mean, listen, especially now during the holidays, it's not always easy to interact with family. There's a lot of stuff in there. But what family does is it gives you a mirror through which to see yourself and how you're reflected. So that's why being resonant with yourself is so important because once you're clear about who you are, what your boundaries are, what your values are, what you want out of this world, then you are able to be more centered and grounded even in those situations that might have previously thrown you off your axle. You mentioned that you yourself are a mother and a grandmother now. How do you try to sort of, I suppose, model that for for the next generations coming along? Because it's understandable and totally human, I suppose, to think I've got expectations and hopes for my children and grandchildren and I like to imagine how their life might be. How do you kind of rein yourself back from, from trying to put too much expectation or pressure onto the next generations? I love my children and my grandchildren. I accept who they are. I parent and grandparent to who I know they truly are. I don't parent to the smallest part of them. I think that's what we do sometimes in relationships when we love people. We step in and we attempt to to parent to the smallest part of them, you know, Um, or to that part that maybe isn't doing so well. So for me, the glasses that I wear, the filter through which I see my children is I see them for their grandest self and I accept who they are. And I speak with them about their decision-making in a way that really allows them to have accountability for themselves and for their own lives you know, and I've said, I remember, you know, my son, uh, I have an old, a son and a daughter and they're 11 years apart. And I remember my son wanting to be in music. Uh, and he is today, but he wanted to be in music. And I remember saying to him, listen, and this may sound a little harsh, Terry, but I would say, listen, if you're going to be a starving artist, then be a starving artist. You know, you can't, decide to be a starving artist and then not take responsibility for the things that you need to take responsibility for. So I think for me, and I certainly do not have the magic potion for parenting at all. What I will say is that my parents, my children and I, excuse me, know who we each are. My children know me. I share with them. I share the things that are, that are tough. And I share the things that my triumphs with them. And I allow them the room and the space to become and be the people that they truly are. And because I am clear about who I am and clear about my boundaries, I do understand where I end and where they begin. That said, I'm a human being. And there are times where we might Um, get into a little bumpy place. But what I am grateful for is that there's always a space. And I think that's very important, especially for parents of teenagers. There has to be a space where true communication is allowed. Authentic communication is allowed. 
without putting on some of the filters or some of the barriers that us that you know parents can sometimes put up because it's not until you truly allow space for a person to authentically show you who they are that you can really be a champion for them how can you champion someone that you don't know and if you are constantly telling that person what you want for their lives, how you want them to live, you're not giving them the opportunity to, to respond back to that. So I think it's really giving a person space and having boundaries yourself. Because I imagine that, you know, for your children, they're growing up in a very different set of circumstances to the kind you grew up in. And they might, you know, obviously you're very aware of this and they're giving them space to be themselves. But if you weren't so careful about that, there might be a pressure on them. They might feel I have a famous name. I'm, I need to become a great artist or something because of their family legacy. But that's obviously something that you are, are very conscious of to, to make sure that they can genuinely be who they want to be. Yeah. In terms of the Basquiat family legacy, that's true. I mean, this, you know, my sister, brother, and I grew up in, you know, the home of a, a father who was in finance, you know, and who was a business owner. Uh, we had a very different life. We lived, um, you know, an upper middle class life and a very fine one, but it was a very different set of circumstances. One thing is that we were always told that, you know, to have a lot of pride and an understanding of who we are and our name. So that was always something that we always paid attention to. But beyond that, no one really knew who we were. Uh, in terms of my children and my grandchildren, they are pretty creative people themselves. And what the one thing that I'm sharing with them as I myself am learning, you know, because stepping into the spotlight of being responsible with my sister for, you know, the amazing estate that is the estate of Jean-Michel Basquiat brings with it also some attention and some things to think that to think about that we've never had to think about before. So we're learning and as we're learning, we're sharing with our children. And I think that's one of the things that is helpful. It's giving them the doses of the experience within kind of creating a lab for them where they can get doses of the experience um, before they get into the place where they're going to themselves manage it. But it's, it's, um, it's something that we're still working through, Terry, and it's something that we are really proud and happy that even with this, our family and is pretty grounded. We're pretty grounded in who we are and what we do. And the goal, you know, for me and my children is to have them find their way. And then they can step into this as well, or do it in parallel, but to not lose, to, to make sure that they always know themselves in the process. Because sometimes, especially in a famous family, you can get so caught up in that that you simply lose who you are, which is really not very different from the experience of any young person who steps into a family that has expectations. I think you always have to know who you are. Do not lose yourself is the way to, is I think a, a really great um, anchor for people. And just to finish, if 
people listening to this wanted to start by asking themselves a few questions in order to try to work out their direction, what are the first things that you start by asking people? How willing are you to take full accountability for the circumstances in your life today? Would be one. Another question would be, what don't you want? And then I would follow with the question of what do you want? And a person should just exhaust themselves with the answers to these. Just sit down quietly someplace and just, and try not to answer from your head. Just allow the answers to flow. And then the third question would be, what do I want for myself? followed by what do I want from myself? And then the last question could be, what do I love? And just list that out. What do I love? And they can apply that to any area of their lives. What do I love about my career? What do I love about my relationship? What do I love about my family? And there's a whole, I could be sending questions forever. (laughs) But I think that's a good place to start to give you and really, you know, for a person to pay attention to how they're feeling as the answers are coming up, because those are breadcrumbs to tell you where perhaps you could dig a little bit deeper to, um, to see what's really going on. I know for me, when I ask myself those kinds of questions, you know, if there's a little bump, it's typically because there's a boundary that I need to set or there's a communication, a conversation that I really do need to have. That's lovely. Thank you so much indeed uh, for talking to us. Uh, that was really, Thank you, Terry. I really enjoyed that. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Head Talks podcast. We hope you found it helpful and interesting. You can find many more talks on our website at headtalks.com or listen to our podcasts on all the usual channels.